Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, we're waiting. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam Fonseca, Editor-in-Chief over at GolfUnfiltered.com. Follow me on Twitter, at GolfUnfiltered. Send me an email, Adam, at GolfUnfiltered.com. Look us up on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all the uh, cool places that kids go these days. So we are fresh off of a incredibly exciting finish at the 2016 U.S. Open yesterday and pretty much for all the wrong reasons. Well, not all the wrong reasons. Obviously, last uh, episode, I gave my uh, horribly supported pick (laughs) that ended up being right anyway of Dustin Johnson winning the U.S. Open. And of course, he did so, but he didn't do so in Uh, without controversy and it just seems like there's always this cloud that kind of follows Dustin Johnson and whatever he does some of it his own doing of course if we're talking about off the course uh, stuff but at least on the course in major championships specifically he's had some tough luck and we almost ran into that again uh, yesterday and so if you haven't heard by now and there's probably what only two of you left in the golf world that haven't heard about it Dustin Johnson was assessed a one-stroke penalty after the USGA rules officials deemed that his ball moved on the fifth green of the final round. And uh, for those who saw the the super slow-motion video, for those who actually saw it live and then followed by that slow-motion video, you saw definitely that the ball did move. It oscillated. It, It changed its position even at the most minuscule amount, it certainly did. Nobody's questioning that. What people are questioning, and rightfully so, is how the USGA decided to handle the whole situation. And so, just a quick recap, after it was deemed that his ball moved, and by the way, Dustin spoke up right away when it happened. He saw his ball move on the fifth green. He called the rules official over. The rules officials assessed the situation, and basically said, you know what, play it where it lies at this point. Dustin said that he did not make the ball move, which I still believe to be the case, and he went forward. Now, seven holes later, on the 12th tee box, or six holes later, depending how you look at it, rules officials, managing director or whatever of the USGA rules, came up to Dustin on the 12th tee box and said, hey, We want to look at the video. We want you to look at the video with us. We believe that there might be a rules violation here or something to that that effect. Obviously, the timing of this wasn't the best. Why did it take seven holes or six holes for them to come up to Dustin to explain this to him? No one ever knows. And quite frankly, they weren't able to describe or explain why it took that long after the fact. So there's a few things here that we have to consider, and the rule that's in question 
at least as far as we understand it, is uh, Rule 18-2, which basically states that if the if the ball moves from its resting position and the player did something to cause that ball to move, the player is assessed a one-stroke penalty. Pretty cut and dry. Unfortunately, we're dealing with the U.S. Open. We're dealing with our nation's championship. And we're dealing with an individual, a player, that has come close so many times in his career and has been burned by rulings in the past, a.k.a. PGA Championship at Whistling Straits a few years ago, for those who remember that. And the context of this entire situation, and on the final round, made it certainly a unique circumstance. So, all right, let's take a step back here. The ball moved. We all, we all, we all know that. We all saw it. Whatever. We saw in super slow motion. Dustin goes and takes a couple putt practice strokes. Ball doesn't move at that point. He then places, or is about to place, his putter head behind the ball. And then suddenly, before he even soles the club or grounds his club on the putting green, the ball moves backwards. Now that's an important thing to consider because, in my mind, if Dustin made that ball move with his putter, meaning he touched the ball, the ball should have moved forward at least initially, even a millimeter before it then ultimately rolled backwards. Now, the ball was sitting below the hole. It was on a downhill lie. Gravity could have caused that ball to move as well. It didn't appear that there was any wind gusts going on. It wasn't necessarily a, a very windy day at Oakmont. So let's give the USGA the benefit of the doubt and say that wind did not cause that ball to move. But even still, and we've all done this too, we've, we've gone out and we've played and we've we've placed our putter you know, dangerously close to the golf ball and we may have bumped it a little bit. And certainly when we're playing you know, for fun and, and not for the U.S. Open, it doesn't matter. We just kind of go on and probably not say anything about it. But in his instance, it's different, and that's obvious. Could that have happened? Could maybe even the pressure of, of Dustin's putter maybe touching the green? Would that have been enough for the ball to roll backwards a little bit? On greens that were rolling on a 14, by the way, on a stint meter. These are basically like a tabletop. So many unanswered questions. But that's almost above and beyond or, or a separate issue, actually, than, than what the real issue is and what the problem that many people had with this entire situation was how the USGA handled it. Why do you wait that long to come up to Dustin or to any player to let them know that, hey, we're not sure if we're going to dock you a stroke yet or penalize you a stroke, but go on with your merry way and we're going to figure that out after the round. Makes no sense makes absolutely no sense. And for those of you who agree with, with that, that it does not make any sense, you were, certainly weren't alone. Because if anyone who's on Twitter at that moment, and pretty much even up until today, I'm recording this on a Monday, after, a Monday evening at 6.30 Central Time, people are still talking about this. Dustin got a lot of support from players. Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, a number of others, Camilo v uh, Viljegas, uh, others continued to come out basically saying how much of a farce this was. Tiger Woods actually used that word uh, specifically. So the USGA was getting hammered on Twitter. They were absolutely getting eviscerated by anybody who had two thumbs and a smartphone 
or a keyboard, and rightfully so. The fact that they handled it in the way that they did was not only incorrect in from, an, from a, a, a common courtesy standpoint, but if you're going to assess the guy a penalty stroke anyway, which, as we all learned, happened at the end of the round no matter what, it still happened. He still got docked for the penalty stroke. Why not just do it then? Why not just do it immediately when it's decided that more likely than not, quote-unquote, as the rule reads, that the player caused the ball to move? I don't understand it. Don't understand. I've been listening to a lot of a lot of uh, you know uh, reaction to this whole thing, and, and it seems like the, uh, the overarching opinion is that the USGA completely messed this up, there's still a lot of disagreement on whether or not the rule was even applied correctly. Quite frankly, I'm still not 100% sure. I don't necessarily plan on playing in any USGA events in my life, whether it be the amateur or any tournament for that matter. But I, I'm still not 100% certain that if I stand near the golf ball and that golf ball moves, am I to be penalized? I, I really don't know. Prior to yesterday, I thought I knew. But now I don't. And really the thing that makes this all complicated and muddied is the presence of video cameras. Most of us will never play in front of a video camera. These professionals, though? Absolutely. U.S. Amateur? Absolutely. And so there's a lot of layers to this whole thing, which ultimately don't equate to anything good for the USGA. And so that leads us into Monday morning today. USGA, again, after getting eviscerated by people on social media, and I'm sure at the golf course, and certainly by Brandel Chambly on uh, golf, uh, the Golf Channel last night. For those of you who saw it, you can look it up on, uh, on the Internet. I'm sure there's a video. In fact, I know there is. I saw it. But we, we now have a statement that's released by the USGA, in the wake of all of that badness that happened. They realized they did something bad. But in the statement, and you can go find it on golfdigest.com, you can basically just Google USGA statement, and it's one of the first things that pop up. They're kind of sticking to their guns, at least, in terms of how they enforce the ruling, which, I mean, ultimately it didn't matter, of course. Dustin won by multiple strokes, even with the penalty stroke. But they at least, I guess to their credit, admit that they handled it incorrectly, meaning they should not have walked up to the guy seven holes after the fact and told him, we might penalize you, we haven't figured that out yet. It's just, it's still bothering I, I just don't understand how you could do that. I just, I really don't understand. I've never seen anything like it in, in any sport. And of course, it's got to happen in in golf, a game that you know kind of gets a bad name anyway for being too complicated with rules. And again, it's got to happen to a guy like Dustin Johnson, who's already had you know his fair share of of rule snafus in the past. So another item or another layer to all of this was the absence of USGA. Uh, the USGA's CEO, Mike Davis. You know, where was he? It's funny, in my opinion, because when anything goes well with the USGA, this guy's up front and center. Now, he was the first person to walk up to Dustin after the 18th green, 
he was on TV. You could see him introducing himself to Paulina Gretzky and whatnot, whatnot. I imagine that he was there to grab Dustin to go and look at whatever video, ultimately <laughs> leading to the penalty that everyone knew he was going to be assessed anyway. Because there was, there was no way that the USGA was not going to give him that penalty. If they went to so far as to send two lackeys or whatever out onto the 12th tee, everyone knew he was getting that penalty. But Mike Davis just kind of let his managing directors take the heat for all of this, which I don't know. I mean, if I'm the CEO of a company, and first of all, God help that company, but if I'm the CEO of a company, and my the most important event that we run is going on, and my company is getting destroyed in the public eye in real time, I'm not going to go just run off and hide. I'm going to I'm going to get out in front. I'm the face of that company and I'm going to take it on behalf of the employees that may have messed up in the first place. Fine. We can handle that behind the scenes. That's the way it happens in any other company or at least any other good company. That's the way that that's handled. That's why you're the CEO. You're supposed to take that heat. He was nowhere to be found. I don't know. I don't know. You know the guy gets a lot of flack and I'm certainly you know, very, uh, oh, I don't know, negative towards Mike Davis. I have a lot of, you know, smart-ass things that I say about him on Twitter and whatever. But, I mean, at any point, if there was ever a point that you want to shine and you want to stay out in front of the crowd and you want to, you know, put your best foot forward at a time when you need to do it, yesterday was the time and he was nowhere to be found. Now, it's easy to kind of think, sit back and think, all right, well, how is this going to impact the tournaments moving forward? Hopefully I, hopefully it does. Hopefully it does impact things for the better. You know, hopefully the USGA, the RNA, any governing body in professional golf, PGA Tour, PGA of America, whatever, they take a look at this example and something is done. Either it's a rule change, whether it's a, uh, a technology change, meaning that they're uh, able to... I don't know, to show instant replay immediately to these uh, rules officials. Maybe it's a rules officials uh, process change. I mean, it kind of brings up the point, too. There was a rules official with the group, with DJ's group. What was the point of him being there? Him or her, I don't even know. But what was the point of that rules official being there if the ruling was going to be handed down? The, the way that the rules state is that whatever, however that official rules at that moment is what's accepted, only to be changed then later on. I just, I don't understand that either. Why even have the guy follow the group? So at any rate, hopefully there's going to be some change in regard to this because to be fair, this was probably the perfect storm of a lot of different things happening at once. You know, we saw other examples during the tournament Shane Lowry, for example, where that exact situation occurred again. The ball moved. He caused it to move. He called the rules official over. He was assessed a penalty stroke, and we went on. At the time, it was somewhat costly for, for, uh, for Lowry because he was still very much in the hunt. The fact that he imploded on Sunday doesn't really matter. I mean, nobody could know or could have known that that would have happened, of course, but you know, it, it for whatever reason, it's just this. This all of this was just happening at the right slash wrong time, 
but that at least, in my opinion, should be enough reason. And maybe it's the straw that breaks the camel's back in this regard to at least have some sort of conversation. Can we get a meeting? <laughs> can we get a meeting on this to figure out how something like this can be prevented in the future? At the very least, let's make something good come out of this whole thing. But anyway, so taking a step away from the ruling, taking a step away from, you know, ultimately an extremely uh, great job covering the event by Fox. I was pleasantly surprised. Obviously, everyone uh, remembers they weren't great covering the U.S. Open last year at Chambers Bay. It was the first time they ever done it. Some growing pains, some logistical things. I'm still not 100% sold on Joe Buck. Uh, being a golf commentator, but I thought he did okay. Shane Bacon obviously did great. It was it was kind of cool for me at least to see him uh, on TV. I've never met Shane face to face, but for about five minutes, him and I were uh, he and I were co-workers at the Back Nine Network. But it was nice to see that he was able to do that. And he's he's damn good. He's a great interviewer. Listen to the Clubhouse, uh, his podcast. It's a great show. He, he just he asks good questions. You know, I I learn a lot from him. Just listening to them. Uh, the graphics on Fox, I mean, I, that's just amazing. They've always been good for that, though. You know, they always had that robot football guy, whatever his name is for football. They're they're kind of you know leaders in in the uh, the on screen graphics for sporting events, and and you know these last two years with golf, it, it was awesome. I, I love the Pro Tracer from not only the tee box but from the fairway. I love uh, how they show the little flag uh, indicator with the yardage to the pin. You know that that's amazing, and probably the best thing that I saw, and I know my wife could probably say the same. You know, is the uh, on the putting green. The uh, only thing I can describe it as is the is the Tiger Woods uh, putting grid, where you can kind of see the break in the green. We've it's funny because we would always sit back and we would want that to happen. We would want to see that during golf telecasts, and hey, they made it happen. It was it was really it was really good, you know. I, I hope to see more of that, and maybe down the road, Fox gets a few more tournaments. I wouldn't be mad at that, you know. Not mad at that at all. And as far as the whole ruling snafu, I know we kind of tried to take a step away from that, but they covered that whole thing well, also. You know, Paul Azinger wasn't holding back in his opinion on the whole thing. Might be a little overly emotional in the moment, but you know that's that's what you get when you listen to him or when you have him on your uh, broadcast team. Brad Faxon, you know, he was about as exciting as he could get, which uh, you know I don't know, <laughs> but you know they offered a lot of great uh, in the moment opinion on a very stressful emotional time, and so it was it was just all around you know a great job uh, by that broadcast team. And the course itself, I mean, we all we all knew that Oakmont was going to be a great venue. It was a great venue in 2007. It was a great venue in the 90s. You know, it, it, it's just, it's a great golf course. And the, the reason I like the course so much is because, you know, I've never been there, never been on it. But from what I've seen over the years, it's not a super long course. It only played to what, like 72, 7,300 yards. Certainly not the longest uh, in U.S. Open history. But, you know, they, they make that course so difficult. And people were talking about it all last week and they make it so difficult by just fundamental things they roll the greens they grow the rough there's no water on the course there's a million bunkers all over the place including the church pews that everyone was talking about and it's just right there you know there's nothing really uh 
there might be a few blind landing areas uh, or blind tee shots, but other than that, everything's out right there out in front of you. That's the name of the game for the U.S. Open. It's course management. you got to go out there, and the best player can get around in the least amount of strokes, taking par out of it. That's that's what that's how a U.S. Open is supposed to be played, and I thought that the course held up uh, very well, even with some bad weather early in the tournament. So, what does this mean for Dustin's uh, career, Dustin Johnson? Hey, you know we've been waiting for this. This is long overdue. We all knew he's a major winner. Uh, he's a, a major winner caliber. He's finally gotten over that hurdle, monkey off his back, as as even uh, he mentioned in the press conferences following his win. Does he win multiple majors this year? No, I don't think he does. Does he have a chance to repeat next year at Aaron Hills? I think actually he does. And if we talk about how, well, not short, but how uh, average in terms of length Oakmont played this year, Aaron Hills next year is going to be a beast. There's already rumors going around that they're going to try to stretch that thing out to 78, 7,900 yards. That's incredible. Might actually try to get out there next year, uh, being in the uh, the Midwest. But from from what I know, they're going to make that course just absolutely a monster in terms of distance. And when that happens, you got to think of the guys who can hit the ball the furthest. And Dustin's certainly top two or three in in, uh, in the world there in terms of distance off the tee. So. He's, if there was ever a, uh, you know, we talked about perfect storm earlier. If there was ever a perfect storm coming up for him to repeat and win his second major, which I know we're less than what, we're just about 24 hours <laughs> since he won his first. Hey, we could see back to back next year. But other than that, you know, I just wanted to get this out purchase or uh, one of the old time uh, golf balls. But yeah, check that out. There's a number of uh, other things that uh, are up on the site. Again, follow me on Twitter at Golf Unfiltered. Send me an email, Adam, at GolfUnfiltered.com. If there's someone that you want to hear us interview on the podcast, please feel free to send an email, send us a tweet. If you yourself are interested in being a guest on the show, we'll do everything we can to get you on here. Other than that, we will try to have a guest uh, next week. We're trying to get back into the swing of things with some interviews. Um, Otherwise... As I mentioned, hit us up on Twitter or email. Look us up on Facebook. And until then, this is your buddy, Adam, signing off.